Greetings, Pastor Gary Wiggins. This is Mike Baldry. I'm sending this to you from Madrid, Spain. I've been here about 15 days preaching every night and seeing the Lord do some powerful things, Pastor Gary. I want to congratulate you on 41 years of faithful, hard-working service there at Evangel Temple. You friends have been such a blessing to our ministry, our family. We love you, appreciate you so much. I first met you as a kid at Camp Alified Youth Camp many, many years ago. And then we were at Southeastern together. And then when we were approved as missionaries, you were one of the first churches to pick us up. And as I said, for over 35 years, you folks have been there every month helping us, blessing us, build churches all around the world. You've helped us to build churches from South America to China and in between. And I look forward to partnering with you and, and continuing blessing the world through your ministry there at Evangel Temple. God bless you, your family, and your ministry. Amen. Happy 41st anniversary, Pastor Gary and First Lady Kim. It has been a pleasure for me to serve under you guys for at least half of those years here at Evangel Temple. I rem I'm reminded of the Bible when it says that the Lord will give us pastors after his heart to follow him and to understand his word. And truly you have been that for me. And I'm also reminded that, you know, we should have confidence in our pastors and also be under the authority and I it just have been wonderful to serve under you and I look for many more years to do so. Again, happy 41st anniversary. Pastor Gary and Kim, it is just my great honor to honor you. 41 years, how could that even be possible? It seems like you just got there. And also, uh, Pastor Gary, Kim is only 40 years old, so how could you be there 41 years? Listen, I congratulate you. You've borne much fruit, but the best is yet to come. I love you, I love your church, and we just believe that this is a house of revival and power because you and uh, Kim are so hungry for it. We love you and thank God for you. Happy anniversary. Well, 41 years, wow. It's been a wonderful spiritual journey. And we have a wonderful church family that we love and endear and are thankful and grateful to be able to serve together and be church family and know that uh, the best is yet to come, as Pastor Rayleigh said. And we're excited about the future, but we look back over the 41 years and we have to say, God has been good. I graduated from Southeastern Bible College the third week of April, 1977. The fourth week of April, 77, I began full-time ministry here at the church. And so for 41 years, I uh, have served full-time. But of three weeks after I began full-time, we were joined in marriage. And so in about three weeks, May 20th, we will celebrate 41 years of marriage. So today's our ministry anniversary. Amen. And so uh, it's a wonderful privilege to be able to serve this church and to have my spouse alongside and uh, Kim greet the church family. 
Last night we were at a wedding, and I, I watched the couple as they were getting married, and I thought, 41 years. You don't really know when you get married what's going to happen over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. But you know what's so good is that when we make God our dwelling place, Psalms 91 says, you have been my dwelling place from generation to generation. And that's how you can have a 40, 50, 60, 70. I had great-grandparents that had a 75-year marriage. It's because God is our dwelling place. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. And so... As a church, we've made God our dwelling place. You make it in a marriage, you make God your dwelling place. And in a church, you make God your dwelling place. And so it's from generation to generation to generation. This is the first year in 41 years that Dad Wiggins has not presented us on our anniversary. And so I thought about that this morning. That was a generation to a generation. But he is where we want to be. That's our plan. That's our purpose is to be where he is. But along the way, we want to take generations with us. We don't want to just go by ourselves. We want to take our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. And the way to do that is make him our dwelling place. We, we were at this wedding, and Friday night, all of the grandkids were at our house while we were at the wedding rehearsal. And we came home, and my house was a wreck. <laughs> it was a wreck. This morning, I was still, and they picked up before they left. They were very good. They all went through and started picking up. Granddad, <laughs> he became the bear, and he said, y'all are not leaving until this house is picked up. <laughs> but this morning, I was still picking up stuff, and I picked up six games that were not played with the way they were supposed to be played with, okay? So it was all over the place. And I thought, you know, sometimes raising generations can be messy, it can tear a place up. But when we as parents and grandparents and adults learn that raising children in church, having a church that has all generations, there can be a little mess. But you know what? We just pick it up because we're going to take them with us. Because He is our dwelling place. I love you. Your family. Thank you for 41 wonderful years. God, help us to coach and to mentor our church to be generational and to raise strong families for the kingdom of God. Amen, amen. Well, we love you and esteem you in Christ. 
In just a moment, the ushers are coming to the front to receive the Lord's tithe and offerings. And uh, we do want to remind you of the prayer times that are in the Sunday bulletin. And corporate prayer is very important. Uh, the Arise update is there. And so, uh, brethren, brothers and sisters, ushers, if you'll come to the front at this time. While they're coming, I want to tell you about a very special opportunity that God has made available to Evangel Temple. Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3, God says, If you bless Israel, I will bless you. And for many years, Pastor Cecil led us into blessing Israel, praying for Israel. But over the last four years, we got very intentional in sending financial blessings to Israel. And as we shared a few weeks ago in the last four years, um, I believe it's right at $380,000 we have blessed Israel and the ministries in Israel. That's in Israel. Can you say praise the Lord? God is not a debtor, and when you sow seed, you can expect a harvest. And we've built relationships with a lot of ministries there, Messianic ministries. God is interested in the Jews knowing the Messiah. Hey, our whole Bible is written by Jews. Amen. Jesus was a Jew. And God's intent, he wants Israel to know the Messiah. And so we're working and sowing into Israel, but also that the Gentiles will know the Savior. But because of our seed that we've been sowing and building relationships, God is allowing next Sunday night one of the highest elected officials to be sitting on this platform with your pastor. And he is coming here. He is an Orthodox rabbi. He is not Messianic, but we're believing for that revelation of Christ. Amen. He very well, watch this, could be a future prime minister over Israel. He is that highly regarded and respected in Israel and around the world. His name is Rabbi Yehuda Glick an elected official Knesset member. They have their Senate. We have our Senate and our House of Representatives. They have their Senate. It's 120 members. Uh, they're Knesset members. And he is esteemed and one of the most recognized. The hand of God is on this man's life. I don't want to show you. He has a passion to rebuild the temple and for access to the temple mount. Two years ago in Jerusalem, a terrorist walked up to him and put a gun in his chest and pulled the trigger four times, four bullets went off into the center of his chest. If God's hand were not on you, how could you survive such four bullets directly in the center of his chest? And he lived through it. The providence of God's hand is on this man's life because what he feels called to do, rebuild that temple. And that elected official is going to sit right here with me next Sunday night. And we're going to talk about Bible prophecy. We're going to talk about end time events. God has made this available, but the timing is also very important. It is the very week of Israel's 70th birthday, a prophetic number. That very week, God has one of his highest elected officials in Evangel Temple. God recognizes seed we've been sowing. Amen? It's not happenstance, coincidence. 
And I want you to pray over the service next Sunday. If you have questions, I'm already making me a list of questions to ask and to discuss. I've been sending to uh, some uh, leaders that I, I esteem dearly in Christianity about questions. And uh, I want this to be a profitable time. Amen. And so how many will pray over that service next Sunday night? I want you to recognize the hand of God in making this available. But everyone stand. It's time to receive the Lord's tithe and offerings. I want to thank this entire church family and everyone watching online for your faithful tithing and support. I want to challenge 100% of this church to tithe. Everyone that's a part of Evangel Temple. The steps of faith that you take will unlock heaven's door over your life. God is a God of order. There's spiritual order. Don't spend your money before you tithe. The spiritual order is that the tithe is first. Amen? It belongs to the Lord. And now we're going to consecrate all of the giving. I want you to lift your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, as an act of our worship, we bring your tithe on this last Sunday in April 2018. Lord, and we consecrate our worship before you. Accept it. Jesus, as you sat at the temple and looked at the giving, look upon our giving here today. Everyone online and everyone here in this service and out at Southwest. And Father, may you be well pleased with our worship of giving today. And may it be sanctified as an act that, Lord, provides meat so that hungry souls can be fed the eternal word of God. And now we bless each and every home, each and every family, every business that's represented. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen. You may be seated as you worship.
standing for the reading of God's precious and holy word. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Thank you, worship team and choir. God bless you for leading us in worship. Amen. Acts chapter 1, we begin a new series today entitled The Acts. Don't forget the service tonight, Awakening Sunday nights. Amen. Revival breaking out and Pastor Jordan will be preaching the prayer times and isn't it exciting to see what God's doing on the world stage? Do you know that for 70 years, everybody say 70. That's a biblical number. It's a very important number. It represents a generation, a full generation. Korea has been under the dictatorship and something's happening now after 70 years. 70. Israel's birthday is in a week and a half, 70th birthday. Hallelujah. These are exciting times. Amen. Glory to God. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke is the author of the book of Acts. We know that he wrote the gospel after his own name, and he begins, Luke chapter 1, addressing 
oh, most excellent Theopolis. And he uses Theopolis again here as he writes and pens the book of Acts. Theopolis was a, a noted leader, leader uh, of that time frame. Uh, some teach that he could have been a high priest and uh, that had come to Christ. And Luke writes to him and he says, The former treatise, referring to the book of Luke that I've written, O Theopolis, all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. So right up to his ascension, he is doing and he is teaching. Right up till you leave this life, you need to be productive for the work of God. Oh, everybody say amen. amen. Jesus kept doing and teaching right up till the time he was taken up. After that, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. I'm going to center in on verse 3 here this morning. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, after his death, burial, resurrection, he showed himself alive with many infallible, I want everybody to say infallible. Infallible proofs being seen of them 40, 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. As you're being seated, the ushers are going to come quickly and hand you two things. They're going to hand you a note page, so I need a number of ushers immediately. I'm going to give you four things at the end of my sermon I want you to write down. They're also going to hand you a sit-with-me card, one card that I want you to invite someone to come sit with you next Sunday. Tell them you'll buy them coffee at the cafe, amen, or do something, amen. Get them to come sit with you. On your note page, the introduction says the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ was not the end of the story. We had Easter weekend four weekends ago. You had death, burial, resurrection. But how many understand the story doesn't stop right there? I'm so thankful that death is not the end of all things. I'm so thankful that death does not defeat us. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus took the sting out of death. I'm thankful that death is the doorway into the afterlife into the fullness of eternal life. Right now we accept it by faith that I'm saved. I accept eternal life. But once you step over, you have embraced fully eternal life. Never to die again, amen. And so Luke begins to substantiate something. I want you to understand he's a, he's a doctor. And he writes with that mentality uh, in in his writings and so that his students can understand and grasp something very important here. He lays this out that the foundation of our faith is on the resurrection. That everything that we do, everything that we practice, everything that we're about hinges on one thing. Jesus came out of that tomb. It is a foundation. It is something that is very important. And so Luke, as a physician, wants to substantiate uh, so that uh, no question uh, could ever come uh, that would, would create doubt and unbelief concerning the resurrection. And he uses this word infallible. 
he, he wants uh, people's faith to be built. And he goes back and, and he, he declares 40 days Jesus proves himself. He, he goes back and recounts some important things uh, the previous period of time. I want to recount very briefly what has happened over the last 40 days. Just under 40 days ago, on March the 24th, on Saturday, on Shabbat, on Saturday morning, Pastor Cecil was promoted into the presence of God. This week, I called Mark Biltz, who is a noted rabbi, messianic rabbi. And I said, Mark, was there anything significant about that Shabbat, that particular Sabbath, on Saturday, March 24th? He said, most definitely. It is called the Great Shabbat. It literally means, the, the, the Hebrew word is Haggadah, Haggadah. And it is the great Sabbath of the whole year. It is the Sabbath just prior to the Passover. So Pastor Cecil on the great Sabbath was promoted uh, less than 40 days ago into the presence of God, which the next day was Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem. I'm telling you, in the last 40 days, some things have happened. We went right into the Easter weekend with a wonderful celebration of the death, the burial, the resurrection, and a glorious Glorious Sunday it was. Now Luke, the physician, is recounting and going over some things because it was important uh, to what would take place in the future. We came through Easter in a glorious weekend and we did some things and announced some things that for the next three weeks, the next 30 days, we took a biblical number that Moses was mourned and he was celebrated for 30 days. And we initiated that starting Easter Sunday. And those 30 days ended last Monday. But for 30 days, we celebrated and honored Pastor Cecil's life here at Evangel Temple and his ministry and how we were touched. Everybody say amen. And that was an important time uh, that as we have honored uh, a, a patriarch, a spiritual father that touched our lives in some form or fashion, I believe we obeyed uh, something very important in the word of God. And a great spiritual leader called and said, he said, when you honor the way you've honored, God is about to do something special. God is going to recognize that. And so we, we recount the blessings of the Lord. We recount what God has done over the last 40 days. But look at point number one on your notes. 40 days, Luke identifies that, that Jesus went about laying some groundwork that there could never be a denial concerning his resurrection. Do you know that if you institute 40 days in your life of, of habit change, you will see that habit change? If you take on an initiative for 40 days, 40 days in the scripture is an important time frame. I'll show you that in just a moment. But people wanting to break a habit, they tell you to do that same thing, to break that habit for 40 days, and you'll find that habit break off. Uh, those wanting to create good habits, you do those good things for 40 days, and you'll see that become initiated and become a part of your DNA after 40 days. There's something to 40 days. I, I want to lay some groundwork here. Jesus began his whole ministry with 40 days. Wow. 
But do you know he ended his whole ministry with 40 days? You have a beginning chapter of 40 days. You have an ending chapter. There's something powerful about 40 days. You may just be 40 days away from your breakthrough. You may just be 40 days away from some change that God's been wanting to bring into your life, but you need to initiate something for 40 days and grab hold of it. 40 days. And Jesus sets the whole tone of his ministry based on 40 days. Watch this. For 40 days, he fasted and he prayed. And at the end of 40 days, angels came and ministered to him. At the end of 40 days, the devil leaveth him alone, verse 11 says. Maybe you're 40 days away from the devil leaving you alone, an angel, angelic host coming to minister. Oh, that's a word. Somebody ought to say amen. And Luke, the physician, as he's writing his prescription out, the book of Acts, he's saying 40 days, Jesus left infallible proofs to his resurrection. 40 days were important. That as Jesus laid this out, in mathematics, 40 is called a semi-perfect number. It is almost perfection. It is a number that's important in science, very important in science, astronomy. Many of the other religions of the world base that 40 is an important number, but look at Judaism and look at Christianity. Noah's flood was for 40 days, it rained. The spies were sent into Canaan to spy out the land for 40 days. Everybody say 40. How long did the children of Israel wander in the desert? 40 years. Goliath tempted Israel for 40 days. He stood against Israel, defying the armies of Israel and the God of Israel. 40. There's something powerful. Moses does three times of 40 days on the Mount of God, Mount Sinai. His life is broken up into three sets of 40 years. Elijah, 40 days walk to Mount Horeb. I could go on and on, but I believe that 40 may hold the key to your transformation. 40 may hold the key to your breakthrough. 40 may hold to you establishing and, and starting some new things in your life uh, to God doing uh, an incredible breakthrough or, or some family members being saved. It may revolve around 40. As we see, it's a biblical pattern, and I challenge you to 40 days. Habits can be broken, and new things can be created in 40 days. Look at point number two. I want to talk about six appearances. In that 40 days, many of the gospel writers break up all the appearances of Christ into six categories. It would have probably been better on the notes if I wrote categories than appearances because actually no one knows how many appearances in 40 days. It is supposed there were many, but they're broken up into six categories. And it's interesting to see each one of these that we do have identified, that we read about the first one on Resurrection Sunday morning. Now, we all remember it was this year where Easter and Passover came together. So there's something very special about this season, this year, this year, amen, because they came together. And on Resurrection morning, 
centuries ago on Easter Sunday morning, Passover morning, Jesus reveals himself. First, you have a, a number of women come to the tomb. They go back and they get Peter and John and they all come and then they disperse and then Mary Magdalene comes back by herself. She is the first one to encounter the risen Christ. This is very interesting that Jesus chose Mary Magdalene, the one who had had several devils cast out of her, the one that was a prostitute in her background, I'm telling you that God can take what you used to be, where you used to run, the habits that you used to have, and God can transform your life, and he can cause you to be the very first one to get the revelation that he is risen. What grace and mercy is that, that God chooses a former prostitute to be the first one? Don't feel that you're too lost. You've got too bad a background. Just come to Jesus and let him transform your life. Paul said, I was the chief of sinners. And if the worst of the worst can get saved, brothers and sisters, we fall in the category of the redemptive work of Jesus in our life. He goes and then he reveals himself to some of the other women. Later that day on Resurrection Sunday, he's walking on the road and he encounters two. About seven miles outside of Jerusalem, there was a little village called Emmaus. And two followers are walking to Emmaus and they encounter Jesus. They didn't know it was him. How many times have we come near to Jesus and we didn't recognize him? Amen. He could be on your right this morning. He could be on your left this morning. Amen. He could be right around you. Amen. And they didn't recognize him. They walked with him. They communed with him. They talked. This stranger doesn't know what's happened in the last three, four, five days here in Jerusalem. They don't remember. He doesn't, where's he from? But their eyes were holding. So many times in the churches across America, I believe our eyes have been holding uh, to the reality of Christ and the presence of Christ when he wants to make himself known. Let him be revealed in your life, amen, and in your home and family. He goes into a little inn with them and sets at bread with them and he starts breaking bread with them. And they told the disciples, the other disciples later, it was something, there was something about the way he broke the bread. Do you understand why he went to these two and he broke the bread? Because the bread represented his body that had to be broken. In the revelation that he gives to these two from a, headed to Emmaus, he was saying, my body had to be broken for you. A revelation in every appearance that if you take time to read and study, uh, friends, this is not coincidence. This is not happenstance. I'm telling you that with many infallible proofs, the resurrection was declared and the Luke, the beloved physician, writes concerning those. I'll not take time to go through all of the appearances, but eight days later, the only disciple, now, 
from Sunday to Sunday, we don't know that first eight days. There's nothing else recorded that we know other than we have scriptures that during this time there were many powerful things that happened. But eight days later, John writes, the disciples were gathered together and this time Thomas was with them. He hadn't been there before. And Thomas was the one that doubted that Jesus was alive, doubted that, uh, that the resurrection had taken place. But this time he's there and Jesus says, Thomas, look at my hands, my feet. Touch the wound place that's in my side. And Thomas reaches forth and he declares that Jesus truly is risen, that he is Lord, King, and God. He comes to Revelation. I'm telling you the reason he, he spoke to Thomas like that because down through the centuries there have been people who have doubted, people who have questioned and, and Jesus substantiated and Luke wants to write in such a way for every doubter in, in the future of, of history that would question the resurrection that there was a man that had those same questions, those same doubts, those same concerns and Jesus said, touch me and it was confirmed and, uh, by many witnesses. But then Paul writes over in Corinthians that there was a time during the 40 days when there were 500 plus people that encountered the risen Christ. What's it going to take for you to believe? What's it going to take for you and I to stand flat-footed on the Word of God and know that the resurrection took place? And because there's a resurrection, we know that all of the Word of God is true, that we can believe God for miracles. We can believe God for signs and wonders. We can believe God for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We can believe God for our homes to be saved. Six appearances, six categories that all celebrate the fact he came out of that grave victorious. But the final appearance, when he's on that Mount of Olives, and he's gathered there. Now, he had gone up to Galilee, and we know of at least two appearances up in the Galilee area. Remember when the disciples are fishing all night, and they haven't caught the fish, and uh, they, they were good at this, and he says, boys, throw your net on the other side. And they called a great haul. Another time in the northern part of Galilee there, there's mountains that come right down to the water. And one of those mountaintops, he meets with his disciples there in the northern Galilee. And it was in that setting he sends them back to Jerusalem. Pentecost was just a few days away. We know that on the 40-day mark, he, he ascends. There's 10 more days to Pentecost. So you have 50 days between Passover and Pentecost. Both of those feasts were required attendance in Jerusalem. Everybody went to Jerusalem, the temple, on Passover. Everybody went on Pentecost. They were separated by 50 days. I wished in the New Testament we could require attendance in the house of God. Amen. Hallelujah. God did it in the Old Testament. But just before his ascension on day 40, he says, guys, go back to Jerusalem. What's the storyline? This is incredible. Pentecost is just around the corner, and I'm going to have to leave you. And there from the Mount of Olives, where all of Jerusalem can see, Jesus took an elevated platform, the Mount of Olives, there with Jerusalem below, where most everyone in the, 
the environment of Jerusalem, they could watch that ascension. And if you study the Greek out, it seems that there was a very slow ascension that he was just taken up slowly and then he went right on out of sight. And the angels encountered and said, why are you standing here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus which has been taken from you shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. And so the ascension takes place. Look at point three on your notes. I want to hasten to a close with this message. So we've had the resurrection. We've talked about 40 days. We've talked about six categories of appearances. But I want to talk about four ways to head off arguments in the home and family. To do conflict resolution. And I want you to write down four things. How many will be honest enough and shame the devil you've ever seen conflict in a relationship? How many have ever seen conflict on business, in a business environment? I, I want to help you with four things before we close that will really work. These four things, if you will take them and apply them over 40 days, I'm talking about 40 days to transformation. You can see conflict handled in a proper way. Conflict does and arise, whether in homes, businesses, relationships, but unresolved conflict or mismanaged conflict can cause weeks and weeks of tension that do not, does not need to be there. We, we have, even in our congregation, a lady that just recently got her Ph.D. in the whole arena of conflict resolution because it's such an important area in the society where we live. But I want to give you four things because in, in an argument, in a disagreement, in conflict, usually there are two, two stances. One is the attack mode. And let's just take it home in a family. Uh, maybe the husband's on attack about something. And the wife is in the other mode defending. And both of these postures are creating this, attack, defend, attack, defend. Uh, maybe, maybe the wife left the car lights on and the battery was dead. That's never happened to anybody. So, amen. I'm talking about a real life situation, amen. But, so attack, defend, attack, defend, attack, defend. There are really two sides to the same coin. Point number one, I want you to write down. Be defenseless. Don't take the attack mode and don't take the defense mode. Be defenseless. You will be astounded if over the next 40 days you try just this one thing. Don't defend and don't attack. Just be defenseless. Take that mode right there. Be like Christ. Find something you can agree on, not something you're disagreeing on. Point number two, demonstrate that in that discussion you are listening. A lot of times men, our wives just want to know that we're listening. They did not ask you to fix something. They just wanted you to listen to them. How many husbands will say amen? Or let me better, wait, wait, wait. How many wives will say amen? Men love to fix things. But for the next 40 days, men and women, demonstrate your listening. And how do you do that? Ask questions about what's being discussed. 
so that they know you're listening. You see, a lot of times the person that's on the attack just wants to be heard. My battery was dead and I was late to work. Demonstrate that you hear what is being said. Sometimes just listening and understanding. Try this for 40 days. Point number three. I need the worship team to come back to the platform. Take ownership. Apologize. Try this for 40 days. There is an entire book that's written. I forget the name of this book, but it was taken from our Navy SEALs in one of the, the combat fights about 10 years ago where several SEALs were lost in action. And when the, the House Committee met, the U.S. House Committee met to study this incident, they brought in some of the SEALs and no one, uh, every story was varying and different and, and there was no ownership. They, they were having a difficult time trying to uh, get to the bottom of how this incident happened and so many SEALs lost their lives. Finally, the commander who was not even on site took responsibility for the whole operation failing. And with that, then different SEALs began to confess and declare certain aspects where things could have been done better. And the whole book is written around and it's written to businesses of America that at some point leaders have to take ownership of things that are happening. And in the home and the family, sometimes we need to take leadership. If you left the car lights on, just say, I left the car lights on, honey. Take ownership. Demonstrate uh, that I'm sorry. You know how that disarms a situation when you can apologize and say, I'm sorry that I left the lights on and you were late to work or you were late for the deacon's meeting. Pastor called you. No, he didn't. I'm kidding. Number four. Usually in a confrontation, in conflict, we'll stand eye to eye, toe to toe, and we're defending our position. Attack, defense. Attack, defense. And we're facing each other. Come here, Mike. Amen. Attack, Defend. Attack, defend. <laughs> what happens when we stand side by side and we look at the situation? One of the greatest unifying words that you can use in conflict is start using we. How can we fix this problem? How can we deal with this issue? How can together we look at this objectively and find resolution to this conflict? I'm giving you some things today that for 40 days that you will notice a difference. You will notice change. You will notice some things taking place when you stand next to the person and you address an issue side by side trying to fix it rather than letting the issue stand between you and you're fighting over the issue. I'm telling you, the book of Acts is about believers getting enough of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we can handle life, we can deal with life, we can live in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can stand our ground and do what God's called us to do in this hour. The Holy Spirit and the 
beloved physician writes, there were many infallible proofs for 40 days. Businessman, a community leader, was in the early service. He said, I'm going to go take those fourth principles you gave in the early service this morning right out into the marketplace where there's some leaders that are in direct conflict. He said, I'm going to take those four principles. I want everyone to stand and every head bowed and every eye closed. The book of Acts can help you build your story to build your family around the Word of God, turning things around, changing some habits that will create some positive movement forward. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here this morning and you've never given Christ an opportunity to rewrite your story as he did Mary Magdalene. Maybe you're here with questions about your own faith and you need Jesus to break the bread in front of you or to tell you touch the wound in his side. As a spiritual coach and mentor, as your pastor, I'm telling you, I know things can happen if you'll come to Christ. I know things can turn around. Your family can be saved. Generational blessings can flow. But it's all decision making. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, the gospel is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. If you're here this morning, I challenge you to a 40 day challenge. Give Jesus your life, your heart. And watch the difference 40 days will make of serving God. If you're bound by some habits, I was sharing with someone this week that's just been bound by alcohol. I mean, it's been controlling their life. They're an alcoholic and they're just being controlled by alcoholism. I want to tell you, Christ can set you free. I want to challenge you to a 40-day challenge. I'm going to pray this prayer with this entire church family and all those watching online. I want everyone under the sound of my voice, even if you're born again, even if you're saved, I want you to pray this prayer. Because somebody standing beside you may need that faith of the way you pray, calling on the name of the Lord, and it'll spark faith in their hearts and lives. Join with me. Dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. I come to you this morning asking you to forgive me of all my sins, thanking you that your word is true. You said if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive them. So by faith, I accept for forgiveness. By faith, I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. And by faith, I'll begin to live for you. In your name I pray, and I want you to shout amen. 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 Listen, you may be watching online or you may be in this sanctuary. As in the early service, people prayed that prayer, and it's the first time to pray that prayer. Today's a spiritual birthday for you. 
Today you're giving your life to Christ. I know the day I gave my life to Christ. I know right where I was. It was my spiritual birthday. I know exactly where I was when I prayed that prayer and I began to follow Christ, become a disciple of Christ. But there's some things you need to do. You need to come record that. If you prayed that prayer or you need additional prayer, I invite you to come when this dismissal is given to come stand here at the front and let our prayer partners come. If you need special prayer for healing, I want to invite you to come. Or the baptism in the Holy Spirit, come. Or you need to just kneel and pray in these altars before we dismiss. These altars are open. But every new believer, you need to do a couple of things. Number one, you need to get connected to church family. We're doing family together. Kim and I have been here 41 years. And we're trying to help people see what spiritual family is all about. What living this life together and doing spiritual life together is all about. You need family. You need a Christian family. Secondly, you need to read the scriptures every day. You need to read the Bible. Start in the Gospel of John. Hold on. One, I love John. I love the book of John. Start with John. And then thirdly, it's so important, you talk to God. Pray, spend time talking to God. He'll hear and answer. Jeremiah 33, that's God's telephone number. Just remember, 333, that's his telephone number. 333 says, call unto me and I will answer thee. You want to dial God up this week? Amen. Call unto me. He said, I'll answer thee. Everybody say amen. I want you to lift your hands. as they do in every Shabbat around the world I want to do as we try to do most every Sunday morning and everyone online lift your hands God told Moses you teach Aaron and teach all of the sons of Aaron this is how you are to bless my people the Lord bless thee and the Lord keep thee the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. You will put my name on your children, your families, and I will bless them. I want us to lift up a shout to the Lord right now. Come on, lift up your voices. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you need special prayer, please come to the front. God bless you. You're dismissed. Be back for the awakening Sunday nights tonight at 6 o'clock.